Good evening everyone, welcome to Evening Dhamma I'm continuing on tonight with Mindfulness of the Mind Chitte Chitanupasi Viharati One dwells seeing the mind in the mind Not an easy thing, no? This one really has special significance because the mind is something difficult to see. It's like going through grades. First grade, second grade. First grade is the body. Well, that's pretty easy, focusing on the stomach. Okay. Well, I'm saying it's not easy at all, but it's easy to find at least. Just because it's changing all the time and disappearing and not letting you be at peace with it, not letting you cling to it, but it's still there. That's a beast that's fairly easy to find. It's like uh, we're out hunting in the forest and we've caught the prey, but it's not that fancy, it's not that special. Um, Vedana feelings, well, that's a little bit more tricky. We start to see a pain, that one we don't want to focus on. Pleasure, no, that one we don't want to be mindful of either. Neutral feelings, neutral feelings are, well, what are they? They're hard to grasp at all. You don't feel anything, just neutral. But okay. So with a little practice, you you are clear of the difference. Sometimes I'm happy. Some moments there is pleasure. Some moments there is pain. A lot of moments there's neither pleasure nor pain. But then we come to the third grade. This beast, the first type of beast, the second type of beast. Well, they're easy to find. But this beast, what the Buddha said about this creature, he said. Durangamang It has This creature wanders far and wide Dura Dura means far Durang Durang is far Ekacharang It goes alone This beast wanders alone It's like the king of the jungle The lion the, A tiger But it's even worse than that. Asarirang. You're trying to find this one. It has no sarira. Sarira means body. It has no corporeal body. It's like a ghost or a spirit. Asarirang guhasayang. Dwelling in a cave. Oh, so you've got to go to the cave to find this one. That's the hint. If you want to find this demon, this spirit, this beast, creature, find it in a cave. Durangamang ekacharang asari ranguhasayang ye chitang sanyame santi mokhanti marabandanang 
Mukanti Marabandana. Whoever can tame this beast, the mind, whoever can tame the mind, they free themselves from the bondage, from the the bonds, the fetters of Mara. So Durangamang, the, the mind is something that in a moment it can travel all the way back to France or Australia or Ukraine wherever, wherever you back to Thailand it can travel far and wide the mind knows no bounds the body, well you're, you're always going to find the stomach right about here except when it disappears as long as it's there that's where it'll be. But the mind, who knows where it's going to be? One minute here, one minute there. Thinking about the past, thinking about the future. One minute quiet, one minute loud, one minute happy, one minute sad. Traveling, traveling, wandering. The mind is any number of things in any number of places. This beast is difficult to catch. Ekacharang, it goes alone. There's only one mind. And this is useful to us, actually. This one, uh, the mind doesn't travel in packs. Could you imagine trying to catch ten different minds at once? Well, the mind is not like that. Well, there's only one mind at a time. No matter where the mind goes, it's there and only there. It's just so quick. It appears like we're thinking many different things at once. Most people don't have the fortitude to see that the mind is one, one, one. Not most people, but in ordinary state, you know, anyone has the power if we put our mind to it. When you cultivate meditation, you cultivate mindfulness, you start to see the moments of mind. And thinking about the future, you see, okay, there it was. It arose. I thought about the future, thought about the past. Good thoughts, bad thoughts. Guhasayang, dwelling in a cave. Dwelling in a cave is also quite useful for us. The cave is the body. And this is the key. The Visuddhimagga makes use of this and says, don't focus on the mind, focus on the body. When a hunter goes off into the forest to look for the, for its prey, it doesn't go running around the forest chasing after it. That's really a silly way to hunt uh, uh, your your prey in the great forest, in its home. What you do is you go to where you know the beast is going to come. Go to its lair, go to its feeding ground, and wait. And so this is what we do when we focus on the stomach We're not really interested in the stomach at all It's not even that useful What we're interested in is what happens when the mind focuses on the stomach Or anything So when you say to yourself, rising, falling Well, how does the mind react to that? Immediately you notice things like the mind is forcing the breath The mind is clinging to the breath The mind is bored of the breath The mind is obsessed, worried Am I doing it right? <laughs> Am I progressing? Doubting? Uh, 
Oh, this is is this is where the work is. We're blind to you know, we're blind to our own mind. Kind of like a dog trying to catch its tail. So when we when we think about, okay, now I'm going to. I'm going to free my mind, but we have. It's like it's like those old cartoons where the he's hunting, he's hunting rabbits, and Bugs Bunny comes up behind him and he turns and he says, "Shh, we're hunting rabbits." And Bugs Bunny's like, "Okay," and he sneaks sneaks behind him until El Elmer Fudd realizes that Bugs Bunny is right behind. The bunny is right behind. Him. Very. That's a very good analogy. It's a, sto a very good analogy for the mind. We we get very angry about our practice. Why am I not free from suffering yet? Right. Very greedy. Oh boy! I hope one day I can be have this great peace of nibbana. Wouldn't that be wonderful? And delusion. I'm going to be enlightened. Wouldn't it be great if I was a sotapanna? I could go home. Go home and tell all my friends. What if I go home and I'm not a sotapanna yet? Everyone's gonna, you know, what did you get? And I'll feel kind of embarrassed. You know, I, I talked about this meditation center, how great it was going to be, and and uh, boy, will I look like a fool if I come back and I didn't do well, right? This isn't this. This is Elmer Fudd saying we're hunting rabbits, and the rabbits right behind him. Even when you worry about progress, when that's a clear sign that there's something wrong with the mind. Not that progress isn't important, but you'll never get progress as long as you're looking for progress. The looking for progress is a, a stress, is a desire. And so that is what you should be focusing on. That's the mind. Very difficult to do. It's... it's it's like a dog trying to catch its tail. So instead we 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 focus on the body. It's like not like a dog trying to catch its tail, that's never gonna work. But like running around through the forest chasing after this tiger. You're just gonna tire yourself out. But if you wait, well the tiger will come to you. Rising, falling, all the things, all the beasts will come out. You watch this, this, it's like you're watching the prey. You put a little, uh, uh, what a pig or something, I don't know, so what, what do they use for bait? Out, and you know the beast will come and smell it, and you put a piece of meat or something out, and you know the beast will come and smell it. That's us watching the rising and falling. This is like the rotten meat, the smelly meat. And when you focus there, all the beasts will come out. Desire, aversion, delusion. It's not easy to catch them, but it's much easier than running through the forest after them. And if you keep doing this, they'll keep coming out. And you'll have chance again and again, you'll have the opportunity again and again to see these things. And if you're systematic, if you work at it, there's nothing in the mind that you can't free yourself from. Ye jitang sanyami santi mokanti marabandana. 
who tames the mind. If you're going to tame anything, tame the mind. And tame the mind, you're free from you free yourself from suffering. So the sutta goes through a, a number of types of mind. Again, if it's just seeing things as they are, if the mind is full of desire, you know this this mind is full of desire. If this mind the mind is free from desire, one knows the mind is free from desire. So mindfulness and sampajanya is this knowing. You know, it's the act that you perform in order to know this mind is like this, this mind is like that. So mostly we don't worry too much about the content. We'll just say to ourselves, thinking, thinking. And when you say that, you taste the mind. When you catch, okay, this is thinking. Because every mind is just a, 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 an awareness. Every, the mind is always, there's only one kind of mind. Or there's only one, mind is, it only has one characteristic, and that is to know. It is the knowing of something, the awareness of something, physical or mental. Mental means you have a concept in your mind. Concept of a person or a place or a thing. Uh, but that's the, that's the only character. That's the only characteristic of the mind. Now, the problem is the mind has flavors. So the mind, some mind, you know something, and there's desire there. Some there's aversion. Some there's delusion. But when you say to yourself, thinking, thinking, you know that. You know what's going on in the mind. Thinking, thinking, whatever you're thinking about. And then you can see. We'll get into it in the next section, actually. In fact, it's interesting because Jitta uh, Nupasana has the hindrances in it, right? It has the defilements. So Raga is, is well, the hindrance. One of the hindrances has to do with Raga. Dosa, well, one of the hindrances, and these are in the fourth section. So there's this sort of concern about how to delineate these, and that's why it's important to understand that the fourth section, we'll talk about it next time, but the fourth section is something quite different. Uh, and it should be seen a little bit differently, I think. Uh, but in this one, In this one, we we deal with just the the idea of think the idea of the mind knowing something. When you know, you can say knowing, knowing. When you're thinking, you can say thinking, thinking. And if you want, if you want to include here. Because the Buddha is talking about raga and dosa and moha. If you want to include those like liking and disliking, you can include those in jitta nupasana. They are here. It's just a question of when we come to dhamma nupasana, when we have the hindrances, understanding the, looking at it in a different way, I guess. So this third one we can see is including all states of mind. The... There are the, the unwholesome minds and the wholesome minds. Unwholesome, there's only three kinds of unwholesome. Greed-based, delusion-based, anger-based. Uh, Greed-based, there are eight kinds of mind. 
Anger, there are two kinds. Delusion, there are two kinds. Altogether, there are twelve kinds of unwholesome minds. And it's really not that important to understand those di distinctions. It's just the eight types of greed because it can be associated with uh, wrong view and or, or not associated with wrong view. It can be prompted or unprompted, but it's really just very technical. What we need to understand is there are three types of mind, three types of unwholesome mind. And so uh, really there are three types of wholesome mind. The wholesome mind is without well, there's a one. There's different kinds of of wholesome mind, but three aspects to a wholesome mind. So a wholesome mind has to be free from greed, free from anger, and free from delusion. A not wholesome mind has either greed or anger uh, with delusion, or just delusion. It's a bit complicated. So unwholesome minds all have delusion. All twelve of them. But there are eight of them that also have greed. And there are two of them that also have anger. And then there are two of them that have neither greed nor anger, but just delusion. The two that have... Uh, so the greed ones are greed, the anger ones are anger, but the delusion is of two kinds. Something that is purely delusion, doubt, and worry. So these are two types of mind because fear has anger associated with it um, depression, boredom, all these are anger based but worry and uh, and doubt these two are delusion based just pure delusion I mean, and, and by delusion I mean delusion is maybe not the best word but delusion means a mind that is that is unclear, that is muddied, that is not uh, composed, that is not uh, that is not strong and fortified. It's a mind that is diffuse and lost in delusion. So that's the mind. There's a lot we could say about the mind, but again, I don't want to make these talks too long. You just get into too much intellectual thought. The mind is just important. What's important is we go find it. We sit by the sit by the water hole, sit by the cave, the body, and when the mind comes, catch it. Thinking, thinking, liking, liking, disliking. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. Keep doing that. You'll free yourself. So that's the Dhamma for tonight. Look at questions now.
Since Buddhism claims the mind does not come from the brain, what would be the Buddhist explanation for personality changes due to brain damage? Some people are good people and become worse after brain damage. Could this happen to an enlightened person? Uh, right, so the brain doesn't exist, but um, the physical, there are physical realities, and physical, the physical can give rise to the mental. Important to understand. In fact, Buddhism does claim that the mind, mind states can come from physical, can create mental. It's just not the only thing. So, uh, the physical can give rise to yeah. I'm not sure about this actually. I don't know the real intricacies of it. But it's important to understand that reality from Buddhism, from Buddhist point of view, is experiential. So, if you look at experiences, well, there would exist. Now, clearly, there's some there's some rules and some uh, logic behind the you know, the functioning, the cause and effect relationship. Tara, you don't have to stay for this. These questions are usually fairly off. Tara is one of my old well, I don't think she were my student but I was. we were students together in Jomtong in Thailand long time ago what year was that? 2005 2005 that's a long time happy to have you So, a person being a good person becoming worse, we're still talking about reactions. Um, so, is it possible that it can, uh, the reactions can become stronger? Yes, for sure. For an enlightened being, the, the thing about an enlightened person is there's no delusion. So, no matter how strong the impetus to become angry or greedy is, uh, there might even be some uh, there might even be some physical experiences like shouting or so on theoretically um, but I, I think it's possible but uh, there would be no liking or disliking is the point the question is what's going on in the mind not how it manifests itself but um, certainly a change in the physical will increase and, and augment and to intensify the mental reactions if they're there to be had but delusion is a different beast it's, it's not like greed or anger um, so a person without delusion can't give rise I mean there, there's no potential no matter what happens It's almost always there. Uh, sorry, use the abdomen because it's almost always almost always there and easy to come back to. For, for me, it's anything but that. I'm practicing for over a year and a half, but I've always had a hard time feeling the rise and fall of the abdomen. I never really feel it at all. My abdomen is often very tense, and my breathing isn't natural, and I feel feel very stressed sometimes. I've learned from this difficulty 
and that I no longer feel as frustrated about it as I used to, but part of me is still confused about why it's like that, and I sometimes fear it will never change. My method of practicing now is mostly noting sitting, touching at the touch points. I try to note whatever feelings there are in the abdomen, like tension, then I eventually ignore it. Any advice on what's going on and what you would, what to do would be very helpful. Um, well, I've, I have heard that there are people for whom breath breathing is just very, very light, but um, I mean, it's hard to believe. You need oxygen, right? So the oxygen, the uh, the pressure, there's a pressure increase. Uh, the opening up. Let me see. It's what's actually happening. No, it's not more air. It's uh, it's a tensing of your muscles. That's how you let the air in, right? When you 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 make the room for the air to to enter. And that act is a physical act. There's something happening physically. Now that being said, I mean, a body bodies are different. So for someone, there may not be an ex a feeling of it. It's, it's it's I'm skeptical because it's more likely that um, you know you're talking about a lot of tension. So if there is tension there, then then. I mean, it seems, it's my experience that that tension, once it's gone, then the rising and falling becomes more clear. But if it doesn't, you can just do sitting, touching. And what I try to get people to do who have that problem is to lie down on your back. And then you really feel it, usually. And so try doing that for a while. And then eventually try and figure out why it's not happening when you sit up. And you may say, usually mental. I mean, hopefully it's mental, and then you can overcome it. But if not, you know, you you improvise. Try putting your hand on your stomach. I think you've already tried that. In any sitting posture during meditation, one of my legs gets really numb. It is distracting as I start to doubt whether it's healthy. Well, the fear of numbness is just fear. It's not unhealthy, so you should just note, afraid, afraid. Your leg's not going to fall off. Um, you know, if you ever fall asleep in the wrong position and then you wake up and your leg or your arm is totally dead. I remember once in Thailand we were squished into this truck. A bunch of monks, there were about ten of us and on the back and in the front, and I was so squished against the door that when I got out I just fell over I couldn't I couldn't even walk on one one leg it was like an hour or so in in this intense squishiness but it's not you know it's not like and you know maybe if it was for days or something it would be a problem but really what's going to happen is your legs are going to stretch you're going to relax and the blood flow will get better and eventually it'll just your body will 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 overcome that um so, so rather than be a distraction, this should be an object of meditation. Focus on the feeling, the numbness. Say to yourself, numb, numb. And if you're afraid or worried, say afraid, afraid or worried, worried. 
and you talk about enjoying the fruits of a deep meditation, that's not really that interesting. It sounds like you're enjoying is liking, so there's impartiality, the numbness is disturbing something else, and that's not how vipassana works. If you feel calm or happy, you should note calm, calm or happy, happy, and not get attached to it. The numbness should be just as as valid as your pleasant experiences. Should we note the pleasantness, unpleasantness of Vedana with a practice? In my practice, I notice them at the same time I note the experience. For example, when I say pain, at the same time I feel it is unpleasant, and after that sometimes disliking arises. Yes, you can note them all. Pain, um, unpleasant is already disliking, I would say. It's a judgment, so then you just say to yourself, disliking, disliking. I wouldn't note pain, unpleasant, and disliking, just pain and, and disliking of it. Because unpleasant is a judgment, There's a thing can't be unpleasant. It's not, I mean, it's not really, there's no magic to it. Focus on what's clearest. If suddenly you really have this intense disliking of it, focus on that. Or if the pain itself, just the experience of pain is there, just say pain, pain. When it comes to peers walking the path through a different sect of Buddhism, at what point should you suggest they reevaluate their methods? If you think they are missing some very important aspect, is it bad karma not to at least let them know your thoughts on the matter? No, it's not bad karma not to let people know your thoughts on the matter unless they ask. Bad karma is not in the actions, it's in your intentions. So if you're worried about them, that's already bad karma. If you if you're yeah if you have some kind of attachment to their happiness to their success that's also bad karma the actual saying it to them based on those feelings the worries and the attachment is also bad karma so i mean generally you wouldn't go out of your way to try and change other people only if it appears to you that they are looking for for your opinion, for your input, then you would answer. I learned how to teach meditation with you in 2012. Kathy, sounds familiar. I think I know who you are. A friend of mine who did the 21-day course in Wat Chom Tong, his teacher was Sandra and is also attending Linga course. Where's the question? But none of those seem to have given him any insight. Oh, so give him any insights or made him a happier person. He's ever in depression. Meditation makes him calmer, but that is it. I'm struggling to figure out how to help him. I've asked him how he notes things, at what point he notices, but it seems that even after so much meditation that he has no gap between stimulus and thoughts arising, he will be meditating. Sudden anger seizes him and he wants to punch the wall. He doesn't seem to be seeing dependent origination at all, despite meditating a lot. He says he runs through the touching points many times without distraction. I don't know what to tell him. I'll tell him to focus on the anger, you know. It's not about catching it at a certain point. You catch it now. And if you don't catch it now, then catch it now. You can always catch it. It's a question of whether he's cultivating mindfulness. 
I wouldn't worry about uh, mm, suffers from depression and low self-esteem. Well, I mean, he has suffered or is suffering. If whatever is present, that's what he should focus on. He shouldn't worry about the past. And it's not to say someone who practices meditation doesn't have these experiences. It's just about working through them. Are they getting better or are they getting worse? They should hopefully be getting better through the meditation practice. Well, it sounds like he's doing several different types of technique, and so that is a little bit problematic. Best if he could stick to one. But again, you know, you're not his his parent. Is he come to you and wants to learn from you? No, it's very hard to help other people. It's up to them to. And often people appreciate that if you leave it up to them. You know, you give them the in information, and whether it works or not is up to them. Up to how well, how how diligent and how skilled they are at it. How to keep being mindful when we interact with other people? I often find myself forgetting to be mindful when talking to other people. Yeah, well, uh, training takes time and practice. Sanka, you're not asking a question. I don't like these. You have your opinion and you say, isn't it this? That's not fair. Maybe it is fair. Isn't brain conditions conditioning the thoughts similar to how sense conditions, for example, even if a person with a healthy brain sees something that's likable, angry thoughts can arise in the mind? I don't understand. So the brain can... Changes in the brain can intensify the emotions. Not, not directly, but indirectly, because there's a stronger... Uh, there's so many different stronger triggers, right? So when I... When you when you when someone pinches me, well, the body has to send the 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 uh, stimulus and it triggers, and then the brain has to come up with some kind of awareness, not awareness, some kind of tr trigger. There's a change that goes on in the brain, and that's where the mind picks it up. Or you might say that change in the in the body is the experience. Uh, in the mind, you know, seen from the scientist's point of view, they're seeing the experience, or they're seeing the effects on the body of the experience, and or however it works in whatever complicated way. Uh, so, if that physical system is disrupted, it can intensify that trigger, and so the mind is uh, the mind that would react to it anyway instead of reacting to just a little bit of stimulus, is reacting to a whole lot of stimulus. And so the reaction is much stronger, can be. But I would want to say it would be a, a gradual thing. To say that a person is suddenly mean and nasty, I mean, there ha I would argue there has to be something in there. Maybe we'd say it comes from past lives. I don't really know. I mean, it's such a very, it is a good question. It's a very complicated 
How do the mind and the body work together? You know, the only thing that Buddhism has to say about it that is sort of radical uh, is that the, the body, there is the mind as well. There's the body and the mind. And the mind is distinct from the body or the physical is distinct from the mental. The mental isn't just a emergent phenomenon, an emergent property of matter. Mind is, is distinct. In fact, mind is the base. Uh, without the mind, there's no experience, there is no universe, there is no reality without the mind. And so when the body dies, it's not the end of the mind, when the brain dies, that's just the filter or the the I mean it's not even it's just a the it's just a change in the physical aspect of the wor of of experience because there'll be the next moment there'll be more physical aspects of seeing and hearing and smelling and tasting and feeling and thinking there'll be more experiences what we call physical is is really just a an intensification or a speci specificity of experience So it's important to be very careful about how we un what we're talking about. When you start talking about the brain and brain damage, you're no longer talking about experiences. You're making an external observation uh, of someone else's experience process. Now clearly the experience process can change radically, drastically. Um, but really that was an interesting question. It's an interesting question about, you know, couldn't then an arahant who has brain damage give rise to defilement again and so you know, the answer we want to say is no and the, the important point is that the, the stream of consciousness uh, has, has shifted has changed so that no matter what the physical, the physical experience is because remember that's all that's happening when you talk about brain damage, that's not what's really happening. It's just this mind experiencing, experiencing, and suddenly, whoa, the experience has changed dramatically. It doesn't change the fact that you react to them, and the reactions are are mental. It's just that for most people, a radical change is not something they can... Like, take a person who's very happy-go-lucky, and then terrible things happen to them, and suddenly they become angry and bitter and depressed. Forget about brain damage. It's the same thing. Uh, you know the measure of a person through adversity, right? Just as you know the measure of a horse by... No, that's not the same. Uh, just by a challenge. When, a per when, it, when things are good, it's very hard to tell whether someone is really and truly a well-developed individual. Okay, so that's all the questions for tonight. Hope that wasn't that was okay. Thank you all for coming out. Have a good night.